Okay, hang with me. I'm going somewhere with this episode, but I can't go anywhere without a little mix a lot. I want to get whipped up and take your picture. My whole boy's trying to warn me, but that butt you got makes me so horny. Ooh, rump a smooth skin. You say you want to get in my bins? Well, use me, use me, because you ain't that average groupie. I seen her dancing to hell with romance, and she's sweat, wet. Got it going like a turbo vet. I'm tired of magazines, send flat butts all the thing. Take the average black man and ask him left. She got to pack much back. So, fellas. Yeah. And you can't have a perfect episode without a little foo. And remember, at the end of every episode... How many times I get tongue tied and screw up every intro and screw up everything? Just cause there's never enough foo. And I wonder when I sing along with you. Everything could ever be this forever. If anything could ever be this good again. The only thing I'll ever ask of you. You gotta promise not to stop when I. So, what do all those have in common? Well, they've got something. Believe me, they've got something. They all have, at least in, as you can, if you search, and you search as much as I have, you can find they're all connected to my beloved home, where I am now. They're all connected to Seattle. Though, they're all, they're all Seattle's musical history. Though, I would kind of beg to question and beg to differ. The Foo Fighters, one of my favorite bands. I know that you can find and you can kind of guess that they had their start here. And they might have been connected to here. Which, <clears throat> yes, I can get. Dave. Now, they're connected to here in the sense that Dave's first band was here, Nirvana. And I don't know that the Foo Fighters are really, from what I've researched and what I've really, and please correct me if I'm wrong, please do. What I've found out and I've tried to be able to do as much as I can is that I don't believe the Foo Fighters are Seattle natives. I think they're connected through through Dave and through other things, but I don't believe the Foo's are, are Seattle. Now, that doesn't mean that, hey, if they are, I'll take I'll take 1000% credit on that cuz my beloved city 
did host one of my favorite rock bands. But I always wanted to do what I have these last few episodes, is I wanted to touch on city history. And I know I've done several before, Hawaii, and I wanted to... I'm trying, I'm trying to do research here, but the web that I'm looking at right now, I'm looking through Wikipedia, as you know, where most, I get most of my sources, Wikipedia, and in this case, Seattle. <clears throat> Got a frog in my throat. Seattle history, the, the web tends to jump around, so I tend to lose my place to it, so I apologize for that. But this is on, Seattle has a great and long and illustrious history. I'm going to try to touch on it as much as I can. And a lot of what you heard, a lot of that, like I said, all those Sir Mix-a-Lot and the Foos all have direct connections to Seattle. And they're all what has been credited as Seattle musicians. So that was a connection. But what is now Seattle has been inhabited since the end of the last glacial period for at least 4,000 years. In the mid-1850s, the Coast Salish people of what is now called the Duwamish tribe and the Suquamish, as well as other associated groups and tribes, were living in some 13 villages within the present-day city limits of Seattle. Evidence of continuous human habitation of a village site within the current city limits of the city of Seattle, dating back to the 6th century CE, exists in the port of the city in the Port of Seattle Terminal 107 site. Located on the western bank of the Duwamish River. The site was abandoned in approximately 1800 for unknown reasons. Other notable village sites include the birthplace of Chief Seattle, which was located currently near the current footprint of the King Street Station, which everyone who lives here and people who are extremely native to the area will tell you that's not what his name was. His name... So, the name... <coughs> the name... Sorry. is not, The current name of the city, Seattle, is not the name it was originally given. So, the name it was originally given, and what the chief's name is... The chief's really na- real name is Chief Seahawk. S-I apostrophe, I believe H-A-L-L. I know it was S-I apostrophe, but I'm not sure. I think it's H-A-L-L. And he that, that, that was his Native American name. And at the time, a lot of settlers couldn't pronounce Seattle. So it translated as Seattle. And that's the best closest, closest translation they could get. So that's what it is. And that's what it became. The founding of Seattle is usually dated from the arrival of the Dedi Party Scouts on September 25, 1851. However, Luther Collins, Henry Van Asselt, and the Maple family founded a farming settlement on what is now currently the Seattle neighborhood of Georgetown on September 27, 1851. The Dedi Party's original site was an unfinished cabin without a roof, and a campsite located at Alki Point in West Seattle. The Collins Party Settlement was improved with permanent structures and was soon soon producing produce and meat for sale and barter. In April 1852, Arthur A. Denny abandoned the original site at Alki in favor of a better 
protect protected site on Elliott Bay, which, when I say Elliott Bay, if anyone's ever seen a picture of Seattle, and if anyone's ever curious, if you see a picture of the water looking over the Seattle, looking up to the Seattle skyline, and you see the Space Needle and stuff like that in the Seattle skyline, the water is Elliott Bay. That's what Elliott Bay is. And these days, when most cruise ships leave Seattle, they leave on Elliott Bay. That's where they are. And that's the cruise. That's where the cruise, the cruise I'm going to um, next year with my family, which I'm extremely, extremely looking forward to. And hopefully, like the one I just did uh, earlier this year on the Koenigsdam, I'm going to be doing it on the Ovation of the Seas, Royal Caribbean. Now, hopefully, I may be able to do a podcast episode from the ship. I don't know. I might not be able to, and I apologize if I can't. But if I can, I'll give it a shot. But that's where the cruise ship leaves from, and that's where the ovation will leave from. Now, in comparison to the Koenigsdam, the owner, the ovation is huge. It's much, much bigger. Now, <laughs> as everyone has, people have argued, and I've heard, the Royal Caribbean ships generally are bigger than most cruise ships around. Most cruise ships like them, or not even like them, most cruise ships around, period. That's just, I guess that's just Royal's thing. Sorry, my stepdad just opened the door behind me. That's, that, the squeaking you heard was a door opening. Sorry. Oh well. Seattle, in its early decades, relied on the timber industry. Shipping logs, and later, milled timber. I just lost my place again. Mill timber, but I lost my place in the notes here. And there it is. The mill timber to San Francisco. <laughs> I lost my place, as everyone knows I tend to do. A climax forest of trees up to 1,000 to 2,000 years old and towering as high as nearly 400 feet covered much of what is now Seattle. Today, None of that size remains anywhere in the world. When Henry Yesler brought the first steam sawmill, brought the first steep steam sawmill to the region, he chose a location on the waterfront where Maynard and Danny's Platts met. Thereafter, Seattle would dominate the lumber industry. Charlie Terry sold out Alki, which after his departure barely held on as a settlement moved to Seattle and began acquiring land. He either owned or partially owned Seattle's first timber ships. He eventually gave a land grant to the University of the Territory of Washington, later the University of Washington, and was instrumental in politics to establish an urban infrastructure. The logging town developed rapidly over the decades into a small city. Despite being officially founded by by the Methodists of the Denny Party, Seattle quickly developed, into, it developed a reputation as a wide-open town, a haven for prostitution, liquor, and gambling. Some, some attribute this, at least in part, to Maynard. To... Yeah, to Maynard, who is colloquial... Maybe not colloquially, but is commonly known, called around here as Doc Maynard. He realized that something was needed to bring the loggers and sailors 
who form the majority of the surrounding population into town. Real estate records show that nearly all of the city's first 60 businesses were on or immediately adjacent to Maynard's Platte. All of this occurred against the background of sometimes rocky relations with the local Native American population, including a nominally pitched battle, the Battle of Seattle, on January 25, 1856. Seattle was incorporated as a town January 14, 1865. That charter was voided January, 16, January 18, 1867 in response to questionable activities of the town's elected leaders. Seattle was reincorporated on December 2, 1869. At the times of incorporations, the population was approximately 350 to 1,000 respectively. In 1867, a young French-Canadian Catholic priest named Francis X. Prefontaine arrived in Seattle and, established, and decided to establish a parish here. At that time, Seattle had no Catholic church and a few parishioners. Prefontaine counted only ten Catholics in the town and only three attended the, only three attended the first Mass he conducted. His bishop, Augustine Magloire Blanchet, whose cathedral was in Vancouver, Washington, gave Prefontaine permission to build a Catholic church here, or build a church here, as long as the priest could raise the funds himself, and it would cost the diocese, it would cost the diocese nothing. It would cost. <laughs> it would cost the diocese nothing. Prefontaine raised the money by holding fairs around the Puget Sound area. During 1868-1869, he built the church doing much of the work himself, and in 1869 he opened Seattle's first Catholic church at 3rd Avenue and Washington Street, on the site where the present-day Prefontaine building stands. On July 14, 1873, the Northern Pacific Railroad announced that they had chosen the, the then village of Tacoma over Seattle as the western terminus of their transcontinental railroad. The railroad barons appeared to have been gambling on the advantage they could gain from being able to buy up the land around their, te around their terminus cheaply, instead of bringing the railroad into a more established Pacific port town. Seattle made several attempts to build a railroad of its own or to leverage one to come. The Great Northern Railway finally came to Seattle in 1884, winning Seattle a place in competition for freight. Though it would wouldn't it would be in though it would be 1906 before Seattle finally acquired a major rail passenger terminal. Seattle in this era was a free free Free, freebooting, yeah, freebooting, and relatively. I wrote that down kind of quickly because I didn't really understand it. Freebooting, and often a relatively lawless town, although it boasted newspapers and telephone, and telephones. Lynch law often prevailed. There were there were at least four deaths by lynching in 1882. Schools barely operated, 
and indoor plumbing was a rarity. In the low mud flats where much of the city was built, sewage was almost as likely to come in on the tide as to flow away. The streets were potholed to the point where there was at least one fatal drowning. Wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. Union organizing first arrived in the form of a skilled craft union. In 1882, Seattle painters formed the, the Seattle Typographical Union, Local 202. Dock workers followed in 1886, cigar makers in 80, 1887, tailors in 89, and both, both brewers and musicians in 1890. Even the newsboys unionized by 1892, following, followed by, a more, or, followed by more organi- organizing most of the craft unions. The history of labor, labor in the North American West, the history of la- North American West, let me try that sentence a third time. The history of labor in the American West in this period is inseparable from the, from the issue of anti-Chinese vigilantism. In 1883, Chinese laborers played a key role in the first effort at digging the Montlake the Mont Cut to connect Lake Union's Portage Bay to Lake Washington's Union Bay. In 1885 through 1886, whites, sometimes in, in combination with, with Native Americans, complaining of overly cheap labor competition, drove the Chinese activities from Seattle, Tacoma, and other northwest cities. In an era during which the Western Territory was one of the first parts of the U.S. to briefly allow women suffrage, women played a significant part in civilizing Seattle. The first bathtub with plumbing was in 1870. In the 1880s, Seattle got its first streetcar and cable car, ferry service, and YMCA gymnasium, and the exclusive Rainier Club, and passed an ordinance requiring attached sewer lines for all new residences. It also began to develop a road system. Now, don't ask me how you get about... I mean, in that time, probably people probably more than well sufficed and did it. But how do, you, how do you get about town without a road system? The relative fortunes of Seattle and Tacoma clearly show the nature of Seattle's growth. Though both Seattle and Tacoma grew at a rapid rate from 1880 to 1890 based on the strength of their timber industries. Seattle's growth as an exporter of services and manufactured goods continued for another two decades, while Tacoma's growth dropped to almost zero. The reason lies in Tacoma's nature, and the screen just went dark, and the screen is just jumping around. So bear with me, everyone. The screen just went dark, dark, and I pushed on a button here. And it just jumped around. So now I gotta find where I was, where I was recording, and the messages I was recording, and get back to where I was, or try to get back to where I was. Yeah. Or at least try to get, at least try to get back to where I was. So I apologize for 
I apologize for this gap in the story here, in the legend of Seattle here, but like I, like you just heard, the the browser where I'm reading my notes from, it just the screen just jumped. It just I don't know why. It just jumped. And then I was when I go back to it, when I hit the back arrow to go back to it, it goes back to the wrong part of the screen. So now I gotta find where I was in my notes and try to do it that way. So I think this is where I was. Bear with me, everyone. The 1865. Francis X. Prefontaine you heard about. Ay, 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 ay. Sorry about this. Bear freebooting. Free Union. I'm, gonna, I'm just trying to like flick my eyes up and down the page and scroll through it. I think this is something... Seattle made several attempts to build a railroad of its own or to leverage one to come. The Great Northern Railway finally came to Seattle in 1884. And the screen went dark again. I'm trying... The screen... This is just this... Okay. I think I found... Thanks for hanging in with me, everyone. I think I found the the spot where I was. The first bathtub was with plumbing was in 1870 in the 1880s Seattle got its first streetcar and cable car ferry service and YMCA gymnasium and the exclusive Rainier Club and passed an ordinance requiring attached sewer lines for all new residences it began to develop and the screen went dark again it began to develop a road system the relative fortunes of Seattle and Tacoma clearly show a nature of Seattle's growth and Tacoma's decline the reason for this lies in Tacoma's nature as a company town and Seattle's successful avoidance of that condition. The early Seattle came to a, st- to a stunning halt with the Great Seattle Fire of June 6, 1889. Started by a glue pot, the fire burned 29 city blocks, almost entirely wooden buildings. About 10 brick buildings had also burned. It destroyed nearly the... Let's see, the screen keeps going dark. That, that's the sign that you hear. The... It destroyed nearly the entire business district, district, all of the railroad terminals, and all but four of the wharves. Major fires like this were common in Washington at that during that summer. The center of Ellensburg was destroyed by fire on July 4th, and downtown Spokane burned on August 4th. Thanks in part to credit arranged by Jacob Firth, Seattle rebuilt from the ashes and was with astounding rapidity. A new zoning code resulted in, the down, in a, downtown, a downtown of brick and stone buildings, rather than wood. In a single year, and the pages jumped again. So the the fault. So the fault of what what has been happening all episode. It just happened again. So, I'm sorry, everyone. Really sorry. Um, great Seattle fire. This is the blessings of recording live. 
you kind of got kind of got to go with what's given. Thanks in part part to credit arranged by Jacob Firth, Seattle rebuilt from the ashes with astounding rapidity. A new zoning code resulted in a downtown of brick buildings and stone buildings rather than wood. In a single year after the fire, the city grew from 25,000 to 40,000 inhabitants, largely because of the enormous number of construction jobs suddenly created. Still, south of Yesler Way, the only open the only open city atmosphere remained. The greatest boom period for Seattle occurred during the famous, as is up in Alaska and here, the famous Klondike Gold Rush. Seattle, as well as the rest of the nation, was suffering from the economic panic of 1893. And, to a lesser extent, the Panic of 1896. Gold was discovered in August 1896 in the Klondike region of Canada. Almost one year later, on July 17, 1897, the steamer Portland arrived at Schwabenbacher's Wharf in Seattle. A a publicity campaign engineered largely by Erastus Brainerd told the word told the world of the of Portland's of the Portland's ton of gold which started the Klondike gold rush and established Seattle as a supply center and a jumping off point for transportation to and from Alaska and Canada in the gold fields of the Yukon the rush ended the depression overnight for Seattle The gold rush led to a massive immigration. Many of Seattle's neighborhoods got their start around that time. Downtown Seattle was bustling with activity as quickly as previous inhabitants moved out to newly created neighborhoods. New immigrants came in to take over their place in the city center. Once the obvious extensions of downtown had been made, Along the flatlands to the north and the south, streetcars began providing transportation to the outlying neighborhoods. Following the vision of city engineer R.H. Thompson, who had played a key role in the development of municipal utilities, a massive effort was made to to level the steep hills that rose south and north of the bustling city. A seawall containing spoils, or dirt, sluiced from the Denny from the Denny regrade, created the current waterfront. More spoils from the Denny regrade went to build the industrial Harbor Island at the mouth of the Duwamish River, south of downtown. The Denny regrade wasn't the only radical reshaping of Seattle's topography in this period. The slightly earlier Jackson regrade was already had already reshaped Pioneer Square and the International District. The 1911-1917 construction of the Lake Washington Ship Canal included two major cuts, the Mont Lake Cut and the Fremont Cut, four bascule bridges, and the government locks, now the Hiram M. Crittenden locks. The level of Lake Washington dropped. The Black River, which formerly ran out of the south end of the lake, dried up completely, and and Seward Island became the Seward Peninsula. 
now the site of Seward Park. All of the expansion was happening without zoning, <clears throat> leaning to a different land uses and economic classes everywhere being mixed. At the same time, as the city was expanding dramatically, the city planners began to put, par put in parks and boulevards under a plan designed by the Olmsted firm, providing numerous parks and about 20 miles of boulevard which link most of the parks and the green belts within the city limits. Much of the ambiance of Seattle today drive, derives from this project. Where there had where had the where there had been where take sixty, while there had so recently been wilderness, increasingly there was a re reality of major city. The Seattle Symphony was founded in 1903, and while few, if any, other comparably important arts institutions were established, the story was different in popular, in more popular entertainments. Vaudeville impresarios Alexander Pantages, John Contadine, and John Court were all based in Seattle in that era. The, the Progressive School Board hired a new superintendent in 1901, Frank B. Cooper, who oversaw a program of building many new schools in Seattle's neighborhoods. The schools expanded their curriculum from the basic core to, to include mu music and art, physical education, vocational training, and programs from immigrants and special needs students. As a, major port, as, as a major port, Seattle depended heavily on its waterfront, which is extremely, extremely intriguing. Extremely, I have said this before, living out here, I'm originally, I'm, you know, people will know, I'm originally from upstate New York, and I moved out here to Seattle one upper coast through the center and all the way out to the other upper coast. I used to live in Minneapolis. I lucky I'm lucky I'm out here. I Seattle is great. It's one of the best I think it might be the best place in the country that I've ever lived. There's so much wrist rich wrist. There's so much rich history out here. It's incredible. It's incredible and I would encourage everyone who who wants to tour who wants to take tours of places in the country and visit the country? Seattle is one of those cities, along with, you know, my love of New York and Vegas. Along with that, Seattle is one of the places in the country that I would advise anyone you visit. If there's three cities on the face of this planet that you have to visit, obviously, other than Paris and London and Rome, if there's three cities other than those three in this planet that you visit that you need to visit it's Seattle just because not just because I love it here and because this is my home I've always I I always loved Seattle loved it out here not just because of that but I really think because it's so different from any other city in the world even one that's really as close to it as Portland is it's so different than any other city around anywhere around it or near it or even far away from it you really need to experience it you really there's a there's a life out here there's an experience out here that you just can't see no i mean sure you can't see the the flying fish and and the the guys throwing the fish at the fish market at pike place market downtown 
not only can you not see that, and that's that's unique specifically to our city, but Seattle is is an amazing city, an amazing town. There's a life out here that hopefully it will capture your heart in a way that it captured mine. My producers, although my producers are from this area, they're originally from Leavenworth. Um, they're it's captured their hearts too. There are places where where you grow up. The girls will say there are places where they grew up that you feel like, oh, this is I've seen this place. I grew up, spent my whole life here. I grew up here. There's places that you just because it's more than more than what you are, more than your what what brought you up. You feel connected to it, like it's a part of you. And I feel like Seattle is a part of me. It's it's this just it's so unique and so unlike anything else on this world on this on this planet. It's incredible. And I can make a lot of rec- anybody who wants to visit here was was thinking about here shout me out, shout the producers and I out on the podcast Facebook community and we'll give you tips and give you pointers of what to see while you're out here. Seattle is an amazing city. It's a really really amazing city and everyone needs to visit just like you need to visit Paris and Rome and London, you need to visit Seattle. It's one of those things that you should do at least once, hopefully 600 times, but at least once in your lifetime. You really, really ought to see it. So thank you all for sticking around with me. All the errors and all the flubs and all the the glitches there. Thank you all for bearing with me and sticking around. Stick around for a little more in the end here. Want to check out the best travel vlogger and videos anywhere? Go to Atlantic City, Disney, Six Flags, all along the Atlantic City boardwalk, and go to Vegas. Check out the New York channel, N-U-Y-A-W-K, on YouTube. You will be thoroughly impressed and thoroughly entertained. You will love every second of what you're seeing. Go to YouTube and check out N-U-Y-A-W-K. You'll love what you're seeing. You'll enjoy every second of it. Want to check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there? True, true friends of this podcast? Check out Fantastic Cruising over on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting devices and services. Give them a five-star review. Head on over to YouTube. Look up Fantastic Studios. Give them a five-star review and give them comments. They'll love that to death. They are the greatest podcast out there. Give them a shout-out. want to check out the environment, the climate, the planet, and everything we can do to have an impact on it, check out City Climate Corner on all the podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on everything. You won't be disappointed. You'll enjoy and love what you're listening to.